The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. You know me, Emperor Palpatine. Emperor, it's so formal though. You can just call me Sheev, friend. You know, here at the Empire, we believe everyone should be free to love and be whoever they want. Under the condition that they make sure to swear allegiance to me. Happy Pride Month. And don't forget, never miss out on an episode of the Dark Times podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite uh, Imperial lackey. Uh, you took mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I'm Steven, your favorite Death Star insurance adjuster. Boy, do I have my work cut out for me. <laughs> the hole was how big? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, man. Uh, we're, we're recording a little early this week, Stephen, uh, because we're going to go watch uh, Spider-Verse tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Excited. We're going to go do this thing where we hang out with friends in, in real life. And, and Well, 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 yeah. our, our podcast listeners aren't going to be familiar with those <laughs> friends, those words in that order. Oh, man. <laughs> to be fair, neither am I. Yeah. Uh, we got some feedback from last week. Yeah. yeah. The ever illustrious Lil Literalist. Say that five times fast. Little literalist, little literalist. No, no, no. I'm ever illustrious, little literalist. Oh, ever illustrious. Sorry. Okay. I was like, just because you can't say it doesn't mean it's impossible. <laughs> he says, I love the idea of cutscene read alouds. I don't think I've seen many tables that have scenes in general that the players don't observe, but this seems like a good way of doing it rather than the GM narrating everything themselves. Isometric graphs are pretty rare, but they're great for showing vertical differences. Sam, you recall last episode we were talking about a, a pretty kind of the, the a climax in Starfall, which we continue our talk about today, has an isometric um, segment, which is just really, really cool. He continues, there are enough of them in this system, despite there being plenty of support and equipment for it. That scene where Han runs around the corner and sees a bunch of stormtroopers was changed in the special editions. I didn't actually know this. I didn't know this either. It was originally a much smaller group of troopers in a hallway. This is the one change that was positive from the special editions. I happen to agree. That is hilarious. Imagine George being like, I put a few more troopers in there. Like, that's a good change. So I'm trying to think of, like, how many was it before? Because I haven't, I don't, I have to go back and watch, I guess. You could pull it up original. pretty easy, I bet. But it's just like, was it like three dudes? <laughs> like, I'm like just running shitless from like four guys. It's, it's really funny. I'd like to imagine what if they added a couple every time they remastered that movie? <laughs> And like in 30 years from now, we'll have like, be like overlapping, like repeating <laughs> the Disney plus plus edition in 20 years is going to oh. have Han like pushing through stormtroopers to get yeah. to the door. You just hear like Gmod clipping noises. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And uh, he caps it off here. I'm a bit surprised Fosh haven't come up on the show before, considering how good they are at certain builds. Um, That's a falsity. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about Chrysanthemum, your medic that you played. Sam, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Did we mention that she was a Fosh? That was the core part of the build. I had the, the, whole, the yeah. whole thing depends on her being a Fosh. Yeah. Did we? Because of how overpowered they are when it comes to having always having a medical kit on hand. Did we basically. publish her build? Yeah, it's, okay. it's published. Oh, okay. Absolutely. We did a whole episode. We talked about okay, it. I yeah, definitely I, remember bringing I it. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one listens to this podcast more than I do. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. <laughs> All right, we're talking about uh, Starfall. Yeah, yeah. I figured we'd just pick right up where we left off last week. Just as a short recap, uh, we covered Starfall, a fan favorite West End Games 
D6 adventure first published in 1989 and then converted to Swissy by Varian Killbot. Uh, this module follows a party imprisoned aboard a Victory class Star Destroyer doomed to destruction. I modified several encounters during our run, mostly to add some much needed complexity or clarity to the suggestions of the book. But as it's written, it's 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 just fine. I just my players are so smart and just so good at the game that <laughs> they require a little more enemy diversity to, to stay engaged. And I do, too, certainly. Uh, when we left off, the party had overcome substantial adversity, making it to the engine core, only to find their plan of initiating self-destruction before the imps were expecting it to be a no-go. Now it's a race to escape 900 meters of twisted wreckage. That's the tagline for this <laughs> adventure I can't get enough of uh, before all is lost. So uh, this next episode is called A Dangerous Trek. Recall this this adventure divides its parts up into episodes. Just a fancy word. This uh, part includes a skippable encounter. With the party's original plan foiled, you guys have to book it. Uh, they learn of Captain Koloff's plan to escape in a freshly prepped Imperial shuttle. And are like, hey, we can use that to get out of here instead. Um, and, and here is in the, the skippable encounter that my party managed to dodge for just a modest DC-21 perception check. The party can discover a passage to bypass the power cell storm, uh, which is the first encounter of this episode. Now, if they don't bypass it, the party finds themselves advancing in a large room with a failing power cell. It's a simple hazard where the party must succeed on three DC 19 acrobatics checks to overcome this hazard, taking damage for each fail. Uh, it's the perfect optional encounter because it's not very interesting and is largely a repeat of the skill challenge found in Journey to the Core, which is the second episode in this adventure. That is interesting because it did sound just like Journey to the Core. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I thought we did that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's literally like you're trapped in a room with a dangerous component of the ship. It's going to get you unless you succeed on acrobatics checks from far away. It is literally the same as as Journey to the Core. So I'm honestly kind of glad you guys skipped it, though. That did not stop me from putting too much time the necessary into a map for it, uh, which, (laughs) which you have not seen, Sam. Oh, great. Well, that's it. It's okay. The love of being a GM is not felt through the hours of labor it takes, but through the the fucking come on <laughs> that your players give every time you roll a nat twenty. It's true. Uh, it's true. <laughs> yeah. So that um that that maintenance shoot you guys found. Uh, do you remember what happened after that, Sam? There was like a isn't it like a droid only area of the ship? Yeah, or yeah. Like there's that? there's so described droid in. Well, first you get into like a um. You're right. That that is what I was fishing for. But I just remembered right before that you like fall into like this maintenance room that has just so much ammunition in it. And the adventure straight up says like, hey, the party doesn't have to count ammo anymore. Like, Does it really say that it, in the adventure? It says it right there that they find enough ammo to not have to count ammo for the rest of the adventure. <laughs> oh, it's like your resupply room, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. We, we fall through a shaft and end up in like some janitor closet that's full of ammo. Yeah, yeah. And like, <laughs> I think I, I threw in a few med kits in there because you guys were especially low and all sorts of stuff like that. And then, yes, there's this like droid only infested passageways that Koloff or in your case, fan is like, yeah, we can we can worm through these and get our way. But then there's this like super scary. I was thinking about this when I was prepping the encounter. Like, this is terrifying. Like the, the stampede of droids just running the party over. It was a very claustrophobic part of, of the adventure. <laughs> and then after, you know, the party gets trampled by droids, there's really no way to avoid it either. The, the adventure is a little cruel in that it's just like, yeah. Put them in the tube and then run them over with droids back and forth. And uh, that there's your encounter, shit lips. <laughs> <laughs> and then the party's introduced to T3PO. Sam, do you remember T3PO? 
Yeah, I named him Tipo. Yeah, Tipo. This is an Imperial Protocol droid, and and uh, this is very very complicated character. I think um, not not by virtue of like their character traits, but just like what the fuck are they doing here in the adventure? <laughs> Let me pull this up. Well, you didn't like Tipo? No, no one did. If you recall. <laughs> I think he was a dick, but I liked him. He's supposed to be like a dick. The The book is like, well, ba- my, my gripe is that he's a dick and offers nothing, literally nothing <laughs> to the party. No, he was like, I know where to go. But also the way he knew where to go was the only way forward. <laughs> There's nothing. And so I, I was thinking of like, OK, for the pod, how could I revisit Tipo? Because I, I wasn't in like the mood to make Tipo useful on the fly, especially like. There's nothing that he could know that Blissix doesn't already know. That's a fair point. Yeah. That is a very fair point. There's no, almost no information that Tipo could offer that Waylix doesn't already know. I thought about like brainstorm, like, oh, maybe he can warn the party about an oncoming patrol and help them avoid it. And that's how he demonstrates his trust. But the the book is very clear that Tipo hates rebels and hates life forms, especially. <laughs> Love and He's and great. you even recall, you know, as we uh, you, so there's one tiny encounter in between this and the next one where the there's like a, a, a ceiling mounted turret that wasn't supposed to be there. You know, Waylix is like, that's not in the blueprints. And then it shoots at them. And then like just as a suggestion, not as the actual resolution of the encounter, it has like, hey, maybe Tipo can hack into that turret and shut it down to gain the trust of the rebels. And looking back, I'm like, OK, yeah, I should have done that. But I was so wrapped up in just how fucking useless Tipo was that I was like, but it's like, why would he do that? Also? Yeah. Why would he, he hates, why the, does he need the trust of the rebels? Yeah. He hates the rebels. He wants to survive. It says very clear, but he also hates the rebels. Kind of a very conflicted character. Maybe that's the appeal. Maybe that's, the <laughs> I guess that was the point is that he was like, Oh, let's, you guys can get, if you guys are going to get out of here, take me with you. Yeah. But secretly he hates their guts. Yeah. It didn't go that way for him. No, no, he doesn't. Because right into, well, first of all, there's kind of a somber looting opportunity after that where the the party can loot a Y-wing that's wedged itself into the superstructure of the Star Destroyer and the pilots are still in there and they're dead and stuff. And it's like, oh. Okay, so what was the point of that? Because we just had a full, like, resupply of all the things we could ever want. Yeah, really good question. <laughs> that That's, um... What does it say? Was there like a table for looting let's, for that room? No, or? let me just read to you everything about that segment. Uh, let's see here. And this is all still part of the optional encounter, right? Uh, no, 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 no. The, no, this, this is the circumventing the encounter part. Okay. No, no, this is so the you you missed, you circumvented the optional encounter when you got to that supply closet. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. The, the optional encounter still led to that supply closet. So that was the that was the kind of T point there. The T-po point. The T-po I'll read the part with the Y-Wing, but there's a really interesting part where it's like, add suspense and thrill to the adventure. Modify your favorite bits from the great disaster films and adapt them to a space environment. What were the great disaster films in 1989? Like, I don't, I, after I, maybe it's because of when I was born, but I can't like list a great disaster film of the 20th century. <laughs> I was going to say Titanic, but that was way after 89. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it's not even like that's that's more of a romance than a disaster film really. I mean, you know, a disaster <laughs> happens, but like okay, actually I'm going to google it. Hold on. Great disaster films 20th century. The Omega Man. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool as hell. Um Old Chicago, The Towering Inferno, 
Oh, okay. Earthquake, 1974. I do know about this movie. <laughs> Airplane, 1980. Oh, wait. Isn't that the funny one? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hold exactly. on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay so earthquake i guess <laughs> that doesn't relate to the <laughs> no but adapted for space someone clearly is not reading the adventure <laughs> it's so funny okay yeah here's the here's the section of the of the y-wing i think it's just supposed to be atmospheric than, than anything which it, it did serve its purpose but you're right it doesn't it's not much of a resupply you push your way through yet another blocked passage to behold an eerie sight the 10 meter wide corridor ahead has been taken a terrible beating from the outside. Large portions of the floor have been cut open, bending jagged chunks of metal into sharp hills. The ripped hole looks out into space, and while the corridor retains enough of an atmosphere to survive in, it is noticeably colder in this section. Slicing through the one wall is a battered Y-wing starfighter. Cables spill from the torn nose of the ship and smoke billows from the shattered cockpit. The Y-wing pilot and his gunner have not survived the crash, and the ship itself cannot be used. Even the communications equipment has been destroyed with the heroes discerned with the DC 14 perception check. I guess it's supposed to just be like, look at this. This is the consequence of war. The cost of war. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't, it's not for seasoned veterans like our party. That's for sure. It was like the 30th battered, busted Y-wing you guys had seen at this point in the campaign. So I was like, oh, yeah, here. He's like, it's dead. Well, why wing with a dead baby in it? There you go. That's the that's the high level one. <laughs> oh God, these things are powered by babies. <laughs> <laughs> that's the it's the true secret of the rebellion. Oh God, the rebellion's just as bad as the empire. All the engines in this <laughs> galaxy are powered by babies. Wow. Oh my God, that's what the 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 tie engines, the twin baby engines. <laughs> yeah, the the eye and baby. <laughs> Uh, this episode ends with a fun zero G encounter, uh, but uh, as you might expect at this point, provides scarce detail about the map other than that it's 60 meters wide and there's a giant rift torn in the hole below that's open to outer space. A uh, little atmosphere persists, not enough to breathe. Actually, the party must put on the breath masks at this point if they hope to survive. And there's absolutely no gravity. When the enemies arrive, uh, Tipo or T3PO says something really dumb, uh, and that's when the party killed him uh, for me. <laughs> No, he said something like, hey, they're over here. The rebels yes. are over here. No, and, and that was from the book. <laughs> it's so bad. Like, I, I didn't like I, I didn't do that because it was dumb. Let's see. Where is he? I guess we're just more used to more complicated droid characters, especially when they're sort of ambiguous in their standing. I guess so. We didn't early. have like there weren't. Tipo was one of like only like 15 total droid characters in star Wars ever like star Wars. This actually <laughs> yeah. it's important to point out. And we've talked about this magical time in star Wars canon before this is from a very special time in a lot of people's lives. When what star Wars was, was here it is ready. A new hope empire strikes back return of the Jedi, the Christmas special and the Ewoks <laughs> movies. That was star Wars. That was star Wars when Starfall came out. Hey, hey, Return of the Jedi had some very complex droids, that gonk droid being tortured in Jabba's palace. You're right, as, though. That was one example. That was, that was a degree of complexity we hadn't seen from droids. Why did people make droids to feel pain? Why were people inflicting pain on droids? What did that gonk droid do to, <laughs> to be tortured? Gonk droids have two legs and, like, a big blocky body. What could it have done to deserve torture? Like, like it can't betray anybody. It it's can a barely battery. speak. It's a battery with legs. Who did it owe money to? Yeah. Like, what did it do? 
But that's a great point, Sam. You know, we, we had total 15, no more than 20 droid characters in Star Wars canon at this point. So maybe it makes sense that Tipo is a little lackluster, a little underbaked. Um, but yeah, it says right here, if Tipo is traveling with the rebels, it calls out to the stormtroopers explaining that it has been captured by these rebel womp rats. It also points out <laughs> hiding heroes and warns unaware stormtroopers of impending danger. No wonder we killed him. How is the party not supposed to kill? Yeah. How is the party not supposed to? That's why he's a useless fucking character. Does it say anything about him surviving this encounter? Um, or is this the last mention of Tipo? We will get back to you on that. Just keep oh in mind that Tipo is described as a silver protocol droid. Just, just keep that in mind. <laughs> I spiced up this encounter, Sam. I found a really nice pre-made map with, um, okay. I'm not going to mention the author of this map. Great map. I loved it. You remember it was fun. Hand-drawn grid lines, though. <laughs> Oh yeah, like the not use of hand. So the grid lines were off. They were like not correct. Hand drawn. They, they were hand close. They were. What I ultimately did because it looked fucking awful without an overlay. So I added my own overlay um, to use. Or actually, I just used Roll Twenty's overlay over the hand drawn lines, and they were pretty close. It looked a lot better with the overlay on it, but you could see pretty like vast departures from what would be a perfect <laughs> grid in 1989. Which this map was not from. This map was posted to Reddit in the last like year. Sure, whatever. Wobbly lines are fine. But like in a, in an age where you could apply your own grid in GIMP in two seconds, you don't have to hand draw the grids anymore. You don't they have to be, like. <laughs> you went through all that trouble. It looked like shit, and <laughs> and you, it could be it could have been done in in GIMP in five seconds. And so that, that that's not even a gripe with the adventure, I guess. But yeah, so this was another one where they give you a vague map and say, throw six stormtroopers at the party. If I'd followed that exactly as the adventure recommended, that would have been approximately the sixth or eighth time I would have done that in a row by now in, in this module. <laughs> but this time in zero gravity, Steven. Yeah, which uh, granted is, you know, pretty interesting, pretty, pretty interesting. Instead, I introduced something that I've had in my pocket for a while, pretty much since I read the Thrawn trilogy, something I've been hoping to unleash in my party ever since. Space troopers. Are these the ones that have that look like just big, like Mr. Potato Head stormtrooper looking guys? That's <laughs> precisely correct, Sam. They are a fearsome enemy if you look at their stat block. But if you look at any art of the space troopers and their portrayals vary quite widely. But... <laughs> You will see that in, in canon and in this variant, there's a normal looking space trooper that makes a cameo in A New Hope that, that has actually a really high detail figure out right now. It looks really cool. It also shows up if you Google images. But the one I was sending after my party is a normal stormtrooper in a big bulky spacesuit that looks like a big stretched out like <laughs> 1960s era space travel stormtrooper. They have a big, stupid, chunky stormtrooper helmet. <laughs> On over their normal stormtrooper helmet, these yeah. fat bionicle fingers, just amazing. like a Bioshock Big Daddy stormtrooper, very much so. And it's I love these because in the Thrawn trilogy, they're fearsome. They you know nearly you know eliminate a, an important rebel operation just like on their own. In Swissy, they've got a fearsome stat block that puts them more on on par with like a, a starfighter than than a than a ground trooper. So yeah, I threw three of these against the party. I was going to be four. But then I, just, I I felt how much beef they hit with. And I was like, OK, I'm just going to 
delete the top one at the top of the map. And uh, hopefully none of my players notice or say anything. We uh, didn't notice. Yep. <laughs> no one noticed that. We call that on the fly, on the fly encounter building. That's incredible. I didn't even know that. That's really good. Yeah, the four of them came down and then I, I think I hit one of you pretty hard. I didn't down you guys yet, but I, I did down you later in this encounter. And yeah, I just I just straight up deleted one. <laughs> That's so good. That's so great. And uh, yeah, this was another opportunity when I taught my party not to cluster. They all hid behind some ample cover I put out. And then uh, a concussion grenade was basically my answer to that. And two of them went down. Two of them went down. The ones that didn't have evasion. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> and uh, we actually got some use out of Space Hound, too. Space Hound and Evasion were, were kind of the two superheroes of this of this module. Well, I want to talk about... Zero G. Yeah. Because we don't really get to cover that that much in the system. Oh, you know what? That's a good. We haven't really done a, a gravity episode, Sam. We should we should talk about what the, that the, entails. Well, we have to understand the gravity of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> I got it up here right now. Creatures in a zero gravity environment can move enormously heavy objects as movement in zero gravity requires only the ability to grab onto or push away from larger objects. Climb and jump checks no longer apply. Well, isn't that nice? Most creatures find zero-gravity environments disorienting, taking penalties on their attack rolls, and suffering the effects of space sickness. In addition to creatures in zero-gravity are easier to bantha rush than in other types of gravity. That's so... What a strange... Just There's so much here. There's a lot more here than we've talked about, in fact. We didn't actually use space sickness, I feel like, right? No, because it takes a while to kick in. Really? Yeah. If you look at the long-term exposure subheader under zero gravity on that page, you have to spend 120 hours in zero gravity. No, 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 no. The space sickness, Stephen. Oh, I'm sorry. What am I looking at? You click on it. Oh. It takes you to a hazard called space sickness. Oh. Oh, well, it's a seal. Yeah, that's how I remember. Yeah. Oh, no. It says after eight hours in zero G. But it says a creature begins its turn in zero oh, gravity for the oh, first Oh, it time. just recurs every eight hours. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about the rest of zero gravity. That's not the important part. It's a plus zero roll against your, it wouldn't have affected you guys anyway. We don't know. That'd be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Enough about space sickness. Speed. In a zero gravity environment, a creature gains a fly speed equal to its base speed or it retains its natural fly speed, whichever is greater. However, movement is limited to straight lines only. A creature can only change course by pushing away from larger objects such as bulkheads. Your carrying capacity increases by 10 times in zero gravity. Doesn't really matter. You get a plus 10 circumstance bonus on strength checks, which is pretty cool. You get a minus five penalty on attack rolls and skill checks while in zero gravity, unless you have the space hound talent or are native to zero gravity. That's the big nasty right there. That is the big nasty. And then Steven mentioned the long-term exposure. Uh, if you spend more than 120 hours in zero gravity, you get a minus two persistent step down the condition track. And then they can't be removed unless you spend 24 hours in normal gravity. But yeah, Space Hound, God, the minus five of skill checks and attack rolls is pretty devious. Yeah, it's it's big nasty. And that combined with like having to completely change how your brain moves your character is is big, oh, yeah. big challenge. I love throwing zero G on counter because it's an instant twist. It's it's in, it's Star Wars, baby. Come on. Space fighting. Who doesn't want to do it? And it's you can throw like some normal enemies at them while still like providing an interesting and memorable encounter. I said, fuck the movement, and I used my uh, <laughs> up grappling hook to just, like, <laughs> latch onto something and pull it Yeah, tight. yeah, so we had this, you know, big chasm map. Not a lot of places to stand, but plenty of cover still. And then this, like, basically zipline right between the middle of it. 
And Sam thought to do this just immediately upon coming into a zero gravity like combat encounter. I was like, holy fuck, you just like doubled the amount of movable surface area. Because, you know, with the way the map was, it was easy to go north to south, but difficult to go east to west. And you fixed that like on your first turn. It was awesome. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I like Sam, you taught me something about encounter design. In that moment, I was like, I'm definitely going to have chasms with like zip lines and, and like grapple ropes across now. Cause like oh, that's, so that's great. just so cool. Oh, it's so good. You know what? You can thank fallen order for that one. Yeah. I feel oh like. my God. <laughs> Bro, Jedi survive. If you weren't, if you didn't have enough zip lines and in, in fallen order, get ready for Jedi survivor. That thing is, I'm like 30 oh, hours in right now. And it is, it is zip line heaven really just excellent traversal puzzles um, in that game. It's like, I don't want to say, cause it's not like mirror's edge. Right. But like it, some of the traversal yeah. puzzles, especially like the optional side ones, reach a like pretty ridiculous level of complexity. It's really fun. Well, I mean, I feel like Fallen Order, this isn't the game design podcast, no. it's the Dark Times, by the way, but I feel like Fallen Order did do a really good job at being like, hey, this is how a Jedi would move around the world, and especially a Jedi who can wall run and do cool shit like exactly. that, and I loved it. Funny enough, it reminds me a lot of like how Jedi Academy feels sometimes. Really? For the, the for Survivor? Yeah, yeah, just like with how freeform the nice. movement can be, it's 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 interesting. That's really cool. All right. Um, I think that's all on that encounter. Oh, yeah. As this episode comes to a close, we heard the party down more twisted corridors as Captain Koloff tries to goad them into one last lesson. There's a few bits like, oh, there's a squadron of stormtroopers. You better run the other way. It's another part. Of the- <laughs> I'm sending six to seven more stormtroopers yeah, at no, you. You better be ready. <laughs> and this is another part where the book's like, hey, remember that part where Han runs after all the stormtroopers in a new hope. Well do that here. And I'm like, that's the third time starfall. Thank you. <laughs> all right. And uh, this, this next, the penultimate episode though, pretty much the last one is, is called a clash with Koloff. Uh, since I was using, you know, my Fanrot and Alexcar and not Blissix and Koloff, like in, in the, the book proper, I brought my characters to a much different conclusion that was offered in starfall. And I thought I'd talk about that encounter a little bit before we talk about how Starfall proper ends. Since I've been really into drawing direct inspiration from video games for this campaign, I I like to imagine Zero Distance as like the lost 90s Star Wars video game. I set my party up for a tactical shooter encounter where stealth, positioning, and timing were the key variables under their control. So first, I provided them a fuzzy version of the battle map beforehand, just threw a few filters on it and GIMP and some uh, horizontal striping to make it look like a hologram. It looked really Thank good. You. I Thank was, you. I was like, I thought it was officially provided. Oh no, I just made that in GIMP in shit. like five minutes. That's so good. Did you make the base map too? No, the base map was, Oh, I actually meant to plug it, but I forgot to write it in my notes. The base map was the same guy who made all the official Swissy maps. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, maps of mastery. Yeah. 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 Um, that was a crop of one of his famous like poster maps. So what, what you saw was actually like a sixth, to an eighth of like a much bigger map, but I just cropped it down. To, it worked yeah, great. I know. I love it those poster great. maps because I just crop what I want and leave the rest. It's amazing. Uh, and then, so you did a great job. I thought the, the filtered part was like part of the official. No, not at stuff. all. That was all me. Super yeah. The, cool. this whole encounter had nothing to do with Starfall at all, but yeah. So like I said, I provided them a kind of a fuzzy preview that I, I fucked around with in Kemp to make it look like a hologram preview. It had like a circles for possible points of entry and squares for the approximate locations of enemies. They prepped and strategized. They all got into their respective positions all across the map. And uh, you guys eliminated your enemies with a a high degree of satisfaction. A lot of holding turns, a lot of 
you know, waiting for certain things. A crazy amount of holding yeah, turns. Yeah, the the <laughs> amount of uh, thought you guys put into coordinating your actions here was was very impressive to see. We described it afterwards as like a zero dark 30, like a Star Wars, like swatting. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. You know, you, know, you, guys, you guys said null team six, like <laughs> null team six. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, this was kind of a, a more climactic, not not even really relevant to the podcast part where, you know, the, the party's commanding officer, you know, tried to rush down his his mortal enemy. But but, you know, it was stabbed through the belly with a vibroblade of, you know, a partial Let's see. Axios is a kind of a rival love interest slash was supposed to be a comrade, but like, you know, the group project fell apart sort of thing for at least most of the party members. Yeah. 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 Axios is like Koloth's Vader in this Precisely. situation, I guess, is probably the best way to describe yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of, Axios is like, I think we've talked about them on the podcast a little bit before, but they're like an enforcer kind of, um, they're a clone from, you know, the past uh, Arcanian. Yeah. Clone Arcanian clone enforcer. warrior who I, I basically looked at, um, God, I can't remember the character's name, but there's this dark horse comics center on Imperial guards, like in, in their whole martial tradition and their whole oh, okay. deal. Yeah, so yeah, yeah access yeah. is very much kind of drawn out of that. They, they, they have all sorts of, you know, baggage that I, I basically converted from, from those stories. And, and it's, it's pretty cool. They, they wield a, a double vibro blade and, and I gave them Dragoon levels from the, the final fantasy fan <laughs> port because I thought it would be fun. <laughs> Cheat lie steal. Cheat lie steal, baby. But in in Starfall, it was much much different, highly divergent. But I think Sam, you'll see the DNA of this encounter made it into what was your final encounter uh, in Starfall. In the book, the the party breaks into Hangar Bay H twelve, which is the hangar bay directly above Koloff's uh, escape shuttle. The hangar's choked with a. Did I write clowning smoke? Oh my god! You did write clowning smoke. That is so smoke. funny. I'm means. so glad you left that. Do you there. mean drowning smoke? Uh, no, it's um, it, it's a really great like word that I wrote down just because I like it. Um, clowning, clowning. Smoke. I do not want to know what clowning smoke does to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the Joker gas. You know, oh, what you're it right. Is. That is the Joker gas. Cloying, it's cloying smoke. Cloying. Yeah. Okay. The hangar's choked with cloying smoke smoldering out of a coolant pool in the left wall. Waylux instructs the party to search for a cargo lift to the level below. There's stormtroopers hiding in certain areas of the smoke, waiting for the party to make their way to the lift controls, which also contain an environmental panel that can clear the smoke. Oh, and the, the book is a really great piece of imagery. And I love these old adventure books because you get just really great nuggets of writing. You know, these were put together by like failed uh, like genre authors. Just like every other RPG on Kickstarter. What do you mean? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What am I looking for? Uh, there's this great little nugget of imagery here. Uh, just not even meant to be as part of a read aloud, just something that the that it says you should describe. Venting the smoke reveals the stormtroopers if they haven't been spotted already. The smoke seems to roll and boil off their armor as they take their positions. Like, whoa! Like, isn't that cool? That's so like, good. I just, instantly, it's not, you know, especially, you know, complicated or flowery, but it's like, oh, man, just... Imagining a bunch of stormtroopers getting into position as like smoke rolls off of the gaps in their armor. Like, wow, that's I love fucking it. sick. Oh, that makes sense. Cause it's the, the venting is like sucking all the smoke. That's like hidden. Yeah. Under yeah. Them, like trapped in the air pockets in their also. armor. Like it's so yeah, it's exactly. Just a oh, it's crazy so cool. hit of realism in a fucking star Wars adventure is really, really cool. <laughs> something to, something to keep in mind for your table. Definitely. So what follows is, is broken down in great detail. Actually, round for round, they give you full encounter tactics for every enemy on the board here, which I mean, how how many adventures give you that? 
Like fucking none yeah. of them. <laughs> That's really cool. It's super, super cool. And this is a very dynamic encounter. Um, surprisingly so compared to how the other ones have gone. It's not just six stormtroopers shoot at the party and then die. It's like there's lit. Well, there's literally six stormtroopers, but like halfway through the encounter, the lift comes up cause it's, it's stuck below. And they're in that, on that lift is Koloff in an ATST, like, yes, it's me. Get ready for your final, <laughs> final lesson. Um, and then uh, when the smoke is clear, there's also empty ATSTs revealed at the far end of the hangar. And it even comes with a really great map that you could still use today. Uh, you even um, it's, it's just white and black, but you could use it easy at your table. You could print it out just fine. Or this would be very easy to color over and use like on a VTT or just use it as it is. It's, it's really nice. So, yeah, but basically, if you haven't got it already, uh, Kolaf is setting up for a big final fight, ATST versus ATST in, in this, this hangar that's absolutely falling apart. Um, I'll read this, this next couple of segments from the book. Kolaf has left this gift for the brave rebels. He has provided them with ATSTs in order to meet him on the field of battle, assuming they are good enough to get past the last squad of stormtroopers. The obsessed captain has ordered that the rebels be allowed to board one of the walkers so that he may administer to them his final lesson. As the heroes enter the cockpit of one of the ATSTs, read the following out loud. The ATSTs holo projector hums to life. The image of a man's face appears before you. He is wearing a sleek black command helmet, which seems to complement the stinging grin cracked across his face. A painfully familiar voice speaks. Welcome, my students, to your final exam. The confident Kolaf slides a pair of dark goggles over his eyes. Oh, this is <laughs> This great. is a fight between soldiers, soldiers in the skins of Titans, or should I say farmers in the skins of soldiers in the skins of Titans? Hmm? With that, oh wait, he's not talking anymore. With that, the ATST that arrived on the vehicle lift tips its cockpit towards you in salute. Then it opens fire. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, right? <laughs> so fucking cool. It's just it. Farmers in the skins of soldiers and the skins of yeah, Titans? That fucking rules! I didn't know Senator Armstrong <laughs> showed up like <laughs> at the end of this adventure. But yeah, so that's your boss fight. It's a Walker versus Walker with Captain Koloff in a collapsing hangar. Um, you can you can enjoy that. The, uh, the then the, this actually is not the last episode in the adventure. There's the final escape, which describes a just 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 some fucking. I would be so frustrated if my GM made me do this after a big boss fight like Walker v Walker. You, f- you fight like four guys and then Waylek's daughter is there and here it is, Sam. She's about to throw a thermal detonator at the party and her dad, Waylek's. But the <laughs> last minute she gets like caught up in a stampede of droids and like you catch a glimpse of a silver protocol droid as they round the corner <laughs> with, with their with, like, and I'm like, God, fuck it. Like, really? Why the fuck? He's back. Like, <laughs> he saved God. us. He's a hero. Yeah. So the droids. St- no, this is this is their Han coming back in the Millennium Falcon yes. shooting at Vader and t- during the trench yes, run moment. It is T-3PO and the droid stampede coming literally out of nowhere. <laughs> To snatch up Waylex's daughter, and presumably she dies aboard the exploding uh, uh, ship. Uh, and then, you know, there's a whole like, oh, dude, the rebels invite you aboard their flagship as honored guests and promote everyone. And if they didn't have a rank already, well, they're a lieutenant now in, in true rebels fashion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. What a fucking clown show they run there at the rebellion. <laughs> My final encounter was very much inspired by the, the final fight with Koloff. 
but I went for opted for a more objective based encounter. You guys were to free the crewmates of of your carrier, the serendipity uh, held in plasma cages and in a large hangar uh, while avoiding stormtrooper squads and ATST fire. And of course, I provided an empty ATST to bring about some more Walker on Walker action. This went really well, especially when the party remembered that auto fire attacks are area attacks and squads take two extra dive damage from area attacks. Sam, I have to thank you for reminding the party of that. And then you got a particularly potent hit in uh, with your your when your all your talents came back online. Do you want to do you want to talk about? Oh that? yes, empty ATST. Right, there's a bunch of cover, difficult terrain, all that cool stuff. Trying to get over the ATST, yep. taking out squads of stormtroopers left and right. Kitch, our Rodian, gets in the ATST, drives it over a little bit. He's like, there's a room for a co-pilot in here. And I'm like, let me at him. I climb right in. All my cool heavy weapon related feats kick in. So we're talking like uh, devastating attack, um, heavy hitter, all that cool stuff. So basically. He's like, all right, let's start taking out. Uh, <laughs> let's let's start taking out the other ATSD, shooting it down. Dev's build has this cool thing where with heavy hitter is if he hits over takes down the condition track then he also the atst loses its attack and uh move action or can only move two yeah, squares, moves two squares loses its attack insane and heavy hitter is so good for that and also just one of those things that applies bonuses before multiplying the damage from vehicle weapons it's so good it's so good so good and tasty so so good and tasty it was an incredible encounter we had a great time free also freeing uh, squads of rebels trapped inside these like ray shield cages, and then they just start picking up the guns from the fallen stormtrooper squads and start trying to take out the ATST with us. It was incredible. Oh, yeah. You know, I had those guys suppressing. It was so great. They were suppressing. They were suppressing. Can't can't. They're also surprising. Cannot, cannot deny suppressing and surprising. But yeah, it was cool. I, I like a good objective and based encounter. This was I, I had this one in my back pocket for a while. I was like. I had just the idea that could be applied generally. Like what if the party is rescuing a bunch of people, you know, be it refugees, prisoners, whoever, and then they pick up spare rifles and become like a suppression bot to take out, help take out whatever big thing is threatening them. And I was happy to apply that model here and it really worked out successfully. It was, it was a clean encounter. All right, Steven. So do you have any final thoughts on star? Um, I mean, I love it. Honestly, you should run it is, is what I should think. Obviously um, think of Starfall as like a really nice baguette you get from the grocery store. And even though it's bread, Sam, I know you've had a good baguette many times in your life, even plain with nothing on it, you can have like three really good big bites of a baguette. But when you have your fourth bite, you're like, man, I really need some marinated mozzarella or some nice dipping olive oil or some butter, maybe some jam or some brie to go with it. You start to think of all the things a baguette could be. After you you take some bites of that baguette. So that's how I feel about Starfall. It it's when you start out, it feels amazing. And it's a really fun, unique encounter. It's a perfectly mapped dungeon, no pun intended, to the Swissy slash Star Wars storytelling model. It's fast paced, it's breakneck, it feels dangerous, it feels lethal. Plenty of opportunity to kill players here. I love it. But after you get about halfway through, you're gonna realize most of these encounters are kind of the same which is fine because it, it makes sense in the setting, but this is not a bad thing because it's an opportunity for you to break out the, sorry, over 30 years of like role-playing improvement that we've had since, <laughs> since this yeah. came out and you can really make it shine with everything we've learned in those three decades. So, you know, I broke out DMFs. 
I broke out, you know, hazards, battle station rules. A lot of that you can already see is starting to enter Killbot's mind as he was converting it. I love Starfall and I think you'll love it too. Just get ready to tailor stuff to your party like you always should. And that's why here at the Dark Times Podcast, we give Starfall a six out of ten. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, we're applying no rating to Starfall. You have my thoughts. We're not, it's not getting stars or points. We love it. It was great. Six out of (laughs) ten. Average, average Star Wars fan satisfaction. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really understand how it fits into the broader canon, really. Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, uh, enjoy it. Um, I sure loved it. Use my suggestions. Ignore them. Whatever you feel like is best, as always. This put the nugget in my head to like, and this is, you know, in the infinite time, infinite motivation universe that doesn't exist. (laughs) The universal basic income. Yeah, exactly. Where we don't I would <laughs> love to publish a like Starfall remastered, you know, like take the mm. conversion one step further, add in what I learned by running it, tailor it. So it, it's a bit better fit for Swissy, you know, amp up and diversify the encounters a bit. Sam and Steven's Starfall. Exactly. Exactly. Sam and Steven present Starfall, a dark times experience. <laughs> I, 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 I just think it'd be the maybe Starfall dark times edition or star or the dark times pre- presents Starfall. <laughs> Bram Stoker's Starfall. <laughs> Bram Stoker's Starfall. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jonathan. <Yeah. laughs> I see you trying to escape my Star Destroyer. Not DR Forkula. Come on. <laughs> Holy fuck, DR Forkula. Are you kidding me? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, um, Starfall's great. Uh, thank you, Weg, for laying the foundation of Star Wars and Star Wars role playing. Thank you, Killbot, for converting this. I had an excellent time. Um, they said they might do another Weg module soon. I told them I'm hoping for a Far out. Orbit project or Crisis on Cloud City, both of which are related to the continuity of of this module. If I if I recall correctly, wow, the Starfall cannon. <laughs> yeah, uh, Far Orbit project. By the way, Sam is literally like serendipity like like it, it is zero distance wait Pretty really much, yeah it's like it's about what the yeah fuck? It's, I, I i had the idea for um zd pitched it to a few people and i can't remember who it was but they're like sounds exactly like far orbit so i read it all and um some parts of the campaign draw inspiration <laughs> far Orbit, but ultimately they're, they are pretty different but the the basic premise is the same it's a covert like almost black ops off the charts um deep rebel intergalactic road trip basically yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, all right. Um, Let's send you guys to the break. Yeah. Steven. Where, 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 where am I? We got a transmission coming in from the break uh, oh, sector of the podcast. Oh, I thought breaks the <laughs> system. I thought he was a guy. <laughs> break. No, that's Brixia Sheer from your. Ah, your distance yes, game. of course. The captain. The captain. Uh. Stephen, how do people support the show? People support the show a variety of ways. In fact, the most common way to support the show, believe it or not, is the free way. When you're nice to us on the internet, that's supporting the show, baby. Uh, <laughs> when you... And so this is our way of saying thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, when you share an episode, I, a lot of people do it now. There'll be a question on Discord or on, you know, God forbid, Reddit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> people will be like, oh, hey, you know, 
they they did a great job of addressing your exact question here on this on this episode. And then, you know, more often than not, people would be like, wow, a Swissy podcast ain't that cool. Shucks. And, and you know, any, anytime you bring us up, anytime you tell your table about us, your friends, your fellow GMs, anything that's supporting the show. And we see you guys doing it a lot out there. And we thank you so much. If you want to write in and tell us about a time that you supported the show, we'll shout you out on the show. So keep that in mind. Also, if you want to throw a little bit, you know, more uh, sauce our way, as it were, we have a Patreon that's primary function is a tip jar. Sam works very, very hard to make this sure the show is ship and shape. Oh, the alliteration. I love it. <laughs> alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sell yourself short, buddy. I feel like you put a lot of effort into the show. as well. I do a bit of writing here and there. You know, I, I, I provide research, insight, expertise, experience, good looks, charisma, uh, <laughs> Marketing. God knows. <laughs> God knows that this podcast could use a lot of those things. <laughs> and yeah, uh, we Sam and I are, are hardworking young adults in a world fraught with um, overtime and long hours and, and distractions from the things we really want to be doing, which is stuff like this. Uh, so that that Patreon money helps us justify the time we spend away from our uh, ever vigilant employers um, and also it helps drive this show forward. It's, it's a bit of a PBS situation. We have hosting fees. We have other associated costs with this podcast. Uh, we couldn't do it without your money and your support. It's true. It's, I, I hate that money has to even be a part of what we're doing here, but it, it is. And, uh, we've received a lot of love on the Patreon so far. Uh, and we hope sincerely hope we continue to do so. It, it puts food in our bellies. It, it, it keeps the show up and running and, and we cannot be more thankful for it. Yeah, but don't don't worry. The Patreon isn't just for your thoughts and prayers to go our way as well as your hard owned dollars. You do also if you stay for three months, you get a sticker. If you stay at the five dollar tier, if you stay for three months at the ten dollars tier, you get a T-shirt and a sticker, a blazoned emblazoned rather with the illustrious Dark Times logo. And it's a good one. Our friend designed it. Yeah, we love that. logo. We love that logo. You say, okay, yeah, she designed it, but it was a brainchild of okay, you. Okay, yeah, we, we designed it. They, like, revamped it. My first <laughs> rendering in GIMP was like, okay, I didn't quite have the understanding of light and texture that our, our artist friend that we paid to do it has. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, it's great. Definitely. Just some, some cleanup, you know, housekeeping work. Next week is the last episode before the darkest yes, summer. that's our two-month hiatus through the months of July and August, for those who aren't familiar yet. And also uh, next week is the sorry, next Sunday is the last day to vote on the Patreon for our Pathfinder. Build yes, down. that poll got up early. That is my bad, folks. I'm sorry, but it's there. Got now. up late even. Huh? <laughs> it got up late even. Yeah. Did I what did I say? You said it got up early. Oh, did I say early? <laughs> oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah. No, late is what I meant to say. You know, the exact opposite <laughs> of what I said. Uh, yeah, that's up now. Please check it out. Vote for your favorite build and we will announce the Patreon's favorite on our next episode, which you will hear June 28th. Anything else? Uh, no. Also, just watch out June 28th. Not only will you hear the winner of the Patreon poll, uh, that, like we said, that's going to be our last episode for our two-month hiatus, The Darkest Summer. Uh, on the 28th, you'll also hear what we will be doing during The Darkest Hiatus. There will be two separate instances of Patreon-exclusive content that will go up in July and August, uh, respectively, since we don't really know how to take a break when we have an active Patreon. We want to give you guys something while still being us a break. So yeah, you'll hear we've, we've definitely decided on one thing and I think we still have to talk and finalize the second thing. So we'll, we'll, we'll get both of those to you announced next weekend or next week, next episode. Fuck. <laughs> Let's send you guys back to the show. So Steven can stop tripping over. His ah! own words. <laughs>
Stephen, no! <laughs> Stephen, we've got a build sent to us from the from the wonderful realm of Iro's oh mind. Iro sent us an email with a build. Hi guys, I saw your discussion with Shell Walker on Discord about the knife guy, so maybe you'd be interested in a knife build I made probably two years ago as a nice low-level boss for my campaign. Long story short, one of my players was hunted by a Duros bounty hunters clan named Z- named the Zug Brothers. Oh. Once in a while, one member of the clan would appear to capture him. After a few times, that player was scared. Anytime I mentioned there, there was a Duros in a room or a cantina, etc. So great. I think the party encountered maybe seven or eight Zug, always in worst possible moments, before letting the party completely destroy the clan while running a homebrew version of a Starfall module. Isn't that cool? Oh, wow. Look at that. I didn't even... I don't think I, I think I missed that the first time I read this email. What a, what Italian. <laughs> Each member of the clan has a name that finishes with the suffix Anthe. So here below, I present to you Pavanti Zug, the knife guy of the Zug brothers. Very nice. This is <laughs> so, so funny. Pavanti Zug is a CL8 Soldier 1 Scoundrel 7. Iroh also included a little uh, encounter breakdown with him as well, oh, which is really love cool. love that. First round, swift action, use of Art of Concealment talent, and you could hide the knife. Uh, we could take 10, giving 27 as a result. Steven, what is the Art of Concealment talent from the Smuggling Talent Tree from Force Unleashed Campaign Guide? It's actually a personal favorite of mine. This is actually what inspired me. This talent alone inspired me to make my knife guy of, of my own. Art of Concealment from the Smuggling Talent Tree, Force Unleashed Campaign Guide. Some smugglers are adept at hiding contraband and weapons, even on their person. When making a stealth check to conceal an item, you can take 10, even under pressure. Additionally, you can conceal an item as a swift action. Woo! That's so good. So so we're looking at Pavanti. He's got he's like swift action, conceal a knife. Yep. Standard action, lightning draw to draw the weapon and attack, targeting a flat-footed uh target with the hidden weapon talent. An attack yep. roll of 1d20 plus eight. That's plus two from cutting attack, but minus two from rapid strike. And if he hits, it's a two d4 plus one d6 damage from sneak attack. And then minus one to the condition track with dastardly strike. And then also damage threshold of the target counts as five less from the devastating attack talent. Very nice. Just so that we can kind of break this down more for the people who aren't so fluent in talents and feats. We start out with lightning draw, which is once per encounter, you draw a holstered weapon and attack as a single standard action. Then with hidden weapons from the smuggling talent tree, once again, if you draw a concealed weapon, and before the end of the same round, make an attack against a target that failed to notice the item, which hopefully is everyone. The target's considered flat-footed against you, which, and uh, not, ju- not just knife guy, to, you know, consider the possibilities. Think of all the builds that build off of flat-footed. I mean, you got your sneak attackers, you've got your, your CT killers. Anyway, you can draw a concealed item or a stowed item as a move action. Additionally, if you have the quick draw feet, you can reduce this to a swift action. A whole lot of words to say. If no one noticed your take 10 concealed knife from earlier, you can draw that shit out on them as a swift action. Or in this case with lightning draw, you can draw it as a standard action and attack at the same time. That's correct. And they're flat footed against you, which means you're ready for here it is sneak attack. Anytime your opponent is flat footed or otherwise denied its dex bonus to reflex defense, you deal an additional 1d6 points of damage with a successful melee or ranged attack. You must be within six squares of that target to make a sneak attack with a ranged weapon. So we're looking at swift action, conceal weapon, standard action, take it out, attack, 
and then the move action as a swift action to conceal it again with the art of concealment and hide the knife in the same turn. Bingo. It's so great. Then we look at the second round. That's, that's only first round. So all oh, that fuck. shit happens in one round. The second round, swift action, draw weapon, quick draw, flat footed target, hit him, <laughs> attack again, <laughs> damage threshold again, all that cool stuff. It's the same round. So basically, as he attacks with dastardly attack, you when dastardly attack, if you hit, you automatically take him down a step on the condition track. But with devastating attack reducing the damage threshold by five as well, you're more likely to take him down more steps than the condition track by hitting the condition track. Indeed. So it's like a low, it's like a mid-level, mid-boss level, just condition track killer, basically. Yeah, it's like a it's like a light CT killer sneak attack build, which I mean, this was used for a, a low to mid-level boss, right? This is yeah. perfect. This is the so absolute good. perfect gimmick for for a lower uh, level boss. I love it. Plus, it, it trades uh, it trades basically your entire action economy for just a bunch of crazy bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Better hope he doesn't have to move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ira also says that he can make an attack of opportunity if he has a hidden knife using the knife trick feat. Steven, you're a big fan of knife trick. I love knife trick. If you have a concealed weapon, you threaten squares as though armed with a melee weapon. When you make an attack of opportunity, you draw the weapon you've successfully concealed on your person and make a single attack against the target. If you choose not to draw your concealed weapon and attack with it, you cannot make the attack of opportunity unless you would otherwise normally be able to do so. I love knife trick because it's it's a relatively niche one. But to be the guy at the cantina with my knife tucked in there, knowing that the moment I get an attack of opportunity, I can just bust it out and start slicing throats. I just oh, it's it's so good. It's like, oh, stormtroopers walk by trying to interrogate someone at the next table yep you could just fucking slice some achilles tendons <laughs> with your they, knife trick they call me the ankle biter <laughs> they call him the ankle biter <laughs> thank you so much iro for sending in that build it's gonna be in the description for everyone i loved it it was great definitely steven do you have any trivia for us this week i do so do you remember robot chicken boy uh, what am i a fifth grader yes <laughs> so they, they actually had tom kane voicing yoda the same time he was cast for Yoda in the Clone Wars. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah, he was doing both simultaneously. He, he was Yoda in 2008, both on Robot Chicken and in the Clone Wars. <laughs> Just incredible. So Donald Glover voices Mace Windu in Robot Chicken 3 from 2010, nearly a full decade before he would be cast to play Lando in Solo, which, in my opinion, is still one of the best castings in oh. Star Wars history. Absolutely. Lando. Yes, absolutely. Donald Glover's Lando is incredible. And I hope they bring that back some. Well, there's that Lando series that they still won't say if Donald Glover's <laughs> part of it or not. It's been announced for a very long time and they still won't comment on Donald Glover's involvement. Uh, Billy D is part of it, but. Oh, of course. Well, Billy D is just happy to be there. He really is. <laughs> Which I don't, you know, respect him for it. Of course. That's fine. <laughs> Wow, that's pretty good robot chicken themed trivia, Stephen. Maybe next time you'll come with something actually substance and worthwhile <laughs> to learn. Because I'm, you know, just forgetting the names of dear friends and family members I've lost to replace it with this knowledge of robot chicken. <laughs> <laughs> the Dark Times Saga Edition podcast is produced wow. and edited by me, Sam. Stephen's my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Tell someone about the show. Tell us who told them about the show. We'll shout you and your whole table out on the show. Stephen, do you have a quote for us this week? You look absolutely beautiful. You truly belong here with us among the clouds. 
Lando says that to everyone, I bet. Yeah, right? that's I mean, that's like in his little like book. That's like in his, <laughs> his little rehearsed lines. That's what he says to himself in the mirror every morning. Also, <laughs> it's part of his. You look absolutely beautiful. <laughs> you truly <laughs> belong here with us among the clouds. That's so great. That's wow. so great. Good night, everybody. Dun dun dun. Say good night, Steven. Oh, good night. <laughs> <laughs> then check under the podcast bed for monsters. Oh. <laughs> Steven, there's a there's a CT killer in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. All right, that's it. We're done. We did it. Yay!